0: A warning to listeners, this is a story about sexual assault. Previously on An Absurd Result. I didn't
1: know my mom was in my brother's room, so I ran all the way downstairs to my dad, who thought I just had a nightmare. But he saw I was panicking, so he's like, I will search the house. And he saw that there was a bathroom window open and called the cops. They know it hinged on whatever, you know, biological material they put in that box. And you're saying you hope it's still in there. And you're telling me you found the box. And I'm going, don't ruin it. Like, don't cut it open. Don't do anything. Don't check yet. What we do, we are unbiased. But having it remain unresolved was hard, I guess. Sometimes I just see it as, as, you know, uh, wrong thing after wrong thing has happened. But it
0: didn't, it wasn't, this part wasn't wrong. Here's where we are. At this point, Linda Glantz, who was assaulted when she was eight, watched the man she thought raped her go free in 2002. That's when Jim Bromgaard was exonerated with help from the Innocence Project. 13 years later, a man identified by the same DNA that freed Bromgard is charged. A judge in Billings decided those charges should stand. But Ronald Tipton appealed that decision to the Montana Supreme Court, which knows there's a U.S. Supreme Court precedent at work in this case. Linda, her mom, and husband were all there when the gavel dropped.
2: All right, to give your attention, the honorable justices of the Montana Supreme Court.
0: They traveled to Bozeman to witness the next step in the state's case against Ronald Tipton. It happened on what's called Law Day on the campus of Montana State University. It's an occasional event when the state Supreme Court travels to a university to attract a bigger audience. You were sitting
1: up front. Front row, I believe next to Angie and Julie and Scott, because they didn't actually argue. It was somebody from the, I think from the attorney general's office. I can't remember his name. Yeah. But he was sitting, I think, up at the table. And then Rob Stevens
0: was up at the table, too. Linda didn't know it that day, but Jim Bromgard was there, too. He and his wife, Kat, made the trip from their home in Calispell and sat in the back.
3: It's really weird to sit there and listen to people talking about it, because I mean, it's been so long in the paper, they didn't know that was me. It's like, it was really weird. Said, well, they don't know much about you or what you look like, because you're
0: standing right there. It's episode six of An Absurd Result, New Decisions. As you heard, the key person not in court that day was Ronald Tipton. He wasn't required to be there, so he stayed home in White Sulphur Springs. Billings lawyer Rob Stevens represented him. You met him in the last episode. And here's what Stevens tells the justices seated before him in the official recording of these proceedings. To be perfectly candid, this was a reprehensible crime, and the proof of guilt is overwhelming.
4: That said, the popular thing to do, and what most people's sense of justice is, is that this individual should be held accountable. And should be punished for his crime.
0: But this isn't about overwhelming proof, Stevens tells the court. I think that we're dealing with statutory and, and interpretation and constitutional construction. In other words, Stevens is saying it's about the law, not about guilty versus not guilty. And it's not about emotions. And the law applied here, the DNA exception that passed in 2007 was only a law after the statute of limitation on this crime expired. Therefore, says Stevens, it's a law that can't touch his client. Arguing for the state of Montana is Assistant Attorney General Mark Fowler. His was an uphill battle. Before he even started, the presiding judge that day, Beth Baker, told him not to mess around with pleasantries. Mr. Fowler, as you begin your
1: argument today, I think it would be helpful to to get to the heart of the issue right away, which I'm trusting that
0: you are familiar with Article 6, Section Clause 2 of the United States Constitution, which is the Supremacy Clause. She means that Fowler has to convince these justices in Montana why they should, in a way, ignore the precedent established by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2003. Stogner versus California ruled California couldn't punish a man charged with rape by using a change in the law, an extended statute of limitation, because the change happened after time ran out to prosecute. How does this court have the
1: authority, as requested in your pleadings, to create an exception to that?
2: It does not, Your Honor. Uh, you may it please the court, uh, members of the United States, which other members of the court, We're not asking you to make an exception. We're asking you to find that this case is distinguishable under Stogner. And that stands considerably in the way of the state. No doubt.
0: He goes on to argue that the sexual assault charges in Stogner were linked to recovered memories. And here we have DNA. And not only that, the law the state used is specifically designed to prosecute cold cases if there's conclusive DNA. Linda, sitting there in the front row, is having some feelings about whether or not the justices are buying Fowler's arguments.
1: Um, I didn't feel too good about that one. I think everybody kind of knew once it went up to the Montana Supreme Court that it was discussed with me prior to, you know, the Montana Supreme Court's probably not going to go against the Supreme Court. <laughs> um, but this is just a very necessary step in this process.
0: Her gut speaks up, especially when one justice interjects...
2: If there are distinctions that might take this out of the realm of Stogner or any compelling reason to do it, I'm not saying that there isn't, isn't that above our pay grade? I mean, that's the U.S. (laughs) Supreme Court. We don't have the authority. Sometimes we, I think, maybe we wish we did, but we don't have the authority to overrule the United States Supreme Court.
0: A justice who is not allowed to chime in is the guy in charge, Chief Justice Mike McGrath. He had to recuse himself from this case. And I need to take a minute to tell you why, because what he said about this case has had a lasting impact. Before he was elected to lead the state Supreme Court, Mike McGrath was Montana's attorney general. He was in that job when the Innocence Project took on Jim Bromgard's case. And although McGrath signed the paperwork to get Jimmy out of prison, he never truly conceded Jim was innocent. McGrath, through his assistant, declined to talk to me. He did, however, go on camera for that court TV documentary that aired in 2006. That was four years after Jimmy got out.
4: The DNA clearly wasn't Mr. Bromgard's, but that doesn't exclude him necessarily from committing this crime. In 2002, DNA tests prove that Jimmy Ray Bromgard, who has spent the last 15 years in prison, is innocent. Bromgard eagerly awaits his release. In light of the new results, Montana state officials agree to drop all charges. Our decision was not based on our conclusion that Mr. Bromgard was innocent. We didn't feel there was sufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he'd committed the crime. The DNA.
0: Ever- where things got sticky happened in a deposition as part of Jimmy's civil suit for his wrongful conviction. Peter Newfeld from the Innocence Project is the one who deposed McGrath. Newfeld made McGrath part of the suit because, as attorney general, he was in charge of the crime lab. McGrath was Arnold Melnikoff's boss, the man who testified in Jimmy's trial that the chance of anyone other than Jimmy raping the 8-year-old victim was 1 in 10,000. That turned out to be bad math on top of bad science. When McGrath didn't call for a whole-scale audit of Melnikoff's work, especially in hair forensics, Neufeld interviewed McGrath on the record. I have the transcript of this deposition. And I'm not sure if jarring is a strong enough word for it. It borders on shocking. Helena attorney Ron Waterman, now retired, was in the room with these guys.
2: I was to a degree, surprised as to how defensive Mike was over the possibility that mistakes had been made.
0: Ron Waterman was Jim Bromgard's Montana-based attorney in the civil suit and did a lot of the negotiating on Jim's behalf. But it was Neufeld who took the point on questioning McGrath. In the transcript, he relentlessly presses the attorney general to admit Bromgard's innocence. McGrath takes many many pains never to go there. Waterman says he could see McGrath's wheels turning
2: I think Mike understood that if he conceded the role that the crime lab paid that he had a whole lot of unpacking of cases to do and you know although they did a quote audit in fact they they really didn't.
0: In the deposition, McGrath suggested maybe the older sister was promiscuous, and the underwear in Linda's room that has the DNA actually belonged to Michelle, who was 11 at the time of the rape. McGrath also theorized the semen got there after the mom and dad had sex on their little girl's bed. Peter Neufeld picks it up from here.
3: And then, and then what? I, I guess when he got to his his. The deepest depths, uh, uh, frankly, of McGrath's own lack of ethics and lack of morals uh, in this context was when he suggested that uh, perhaps the semen left on this little girl's underwear wasn't deposited by the rapist at all, but could have been deposited by the little girl's father, who was involved in pedophilia and incest.
0: Also, just as an FYI, at the time of McGrath's deposition, DNA had already ruled out members of Linda's family.
3: And, you know, immediately I thought, I'm a father. And if my little girl had been raped, and I would just be, I mean, so upset. And, and, and instead of allowing me to sort of experience that, that grief and that sadness, someone accused me of having incest with my daughter. Um, I I just thought that was just such an insensitive thing on the part of of the attorney general.
0: When McGrath later ran for chief justice, he tried to bring legal proceedings against release of this transcript. It wasn't a public document, he argued, but he's wrong. It wasn't sealed and it is public. You can find it on the internet right now. In 2008, McGrath won the election for chief justice of the Montana Supreme Court. He beat out his only opponent, Ron Waterman, Bromgard's civil lawyer you heard from a minute ago. McGrath was reelected for a second 8-year term that ends in 2024. That left him in place when Tipton's case went before the state's highest court, and it's why he had to recuse himself because he was a player in the earlier case. In Bozeman, the Tipton hearing lasted about an hour and didn't include a decision that came later, in July, while Linda was on vacation near the Canadian border. I had gone up to Glacier. My whole family had been up there and a bunch of, you know, my
1: sister's friends. We were um, spreading my nephew's ashes.
0: It was a delayed memorial for Seamus. Seamus. Her sister's toddler killed after a car smashed his stroller in a crosswalk in Portland.
1: So it was all, it was just everything. And probably one of the best vacations
0: I've ever had. Because it wasn't all sad and was in a beautiful place they all loved. She was there with her mom, her sisters, her brother, and a few others who were close to Michelle and Eric. After hanging out in Glacier, Linda did what she sometimes does. She likes to travel by herself every now and then, so she decided to take a few extra days and drive to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho.
1: And it was, I want to say, within an hour of me leaving for Coeur d'Alene,
0: I got the phone call. So. So, the state Supreme Court unanimously ruled to dismiss with prejudice the charges against Ronald Dwight Tipton. Dismissing with prejudice means the state can never charge him again for this crime. It means he would not go to trial, much less prison, as Jim Bromgard did. Linda would not get to testify against Tipton as she absolutely hoped to do. Even though she saw it coming, it was a huge blow. And yet, she still had a very real reason to hope. The state had one more option to pursue against Ronald Tipton it could petition the U.S. Supreme Court to re-examine Stogner versus California in light of this case. The person deciding whether or not to go for it was the Attorney General of Montana, Tim Fox.
4: You know, I feel strongly that uh, the California case is outdated and that the, the law needs to catch up with the science.
0: Fox is a Republican who ran unsuccessfully for governor. Before term limits kept him from running again for AG, He made this case a priority. He also made it personal. He called Linda on her cell several times. He and the Montana Solicitor General, a guy named Dale Schoengert, also drove to meet her at a title company in Livingston, where she worked at the time. That was a little nerve-wracking for Linda.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they, and we were trying to figure out like a place to meet, but you know, he's the attorney general. You can't just walk into a coffee shop and, um, hope to not get un- in- interrupted. And so I was like, God, my house, but that's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I can have like, you know, people in my house. <laughs> and <laughs> anyways, it was a little bit, uh, I was like, you know, what, what if my cat jumps on his suit? <laughs> so <laughs> I just didn't know.
0: With Linda and her family, with anyone else who asked, Tim Fox forcefully backed his decision to keep going, to do everything he could to get this case in front of the Supreme Court, and to convince Linda she might still get justice.
4: Obviously, this case was um, important to everybody, uh, certainly law enforcement, um, and certainly our office. Uh, but we we know just from experience that the victims of violent crime, uh, you know, want to see some justice, they want to see some closure. And for Linda and her family, they had to relive this multiple times, if you will. And certainly uh, Linda had to live with it throughout her life. She was eight years old when this uh, very heinous crime was committed against her. And I felt that I had a responsibility and indeed a duty to personalize our involvement and communicate directly with her.
1: Actually, um, he uh, also left me with one of his uh, coffee cups. And it was so funny because I was in a closing and I was sitting there, I was, you know, drinking coffee and, and the woman I was closing with goes, where did you get that coffee cup? That's one of like Tim Fox's coffee cups. And I was like, oh, he gave it to me. I'm working with him on a case. She goes, what? I work for him. And I was like, oh, I'm Linda Glance." And she goes, oh my gosh, our whole office knows who you are. She goes, we all love you. And it was like such a beautiful experience. It was such such a neat Thing to have happen. And just this really lovely, random woman saying, you know, we are all like really, really working on this for you. Because one thing I think people don't realize is even as a victim in these cases, people are going to talk to you about it, but you have no involvement in the real process. They could do all of this without ever meeting me or talking to me.
2: Um, and I, I think part of it is Linda. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's just such an amazing person.
0: That last voice, that's Dale Schoengert. He was general counsel for Montana and the one who'd be doing the state's heavy lifting on this case from here on out. He went with the attorney general to meet with Linda too, and he was especially moved as he got to know more about her.
2: Her story is incredible. The way that she has overcome this horrific thing that, I mean, you know, when Tim Fox and I went to meet her, For the first time, I didn't really know what to expect. I talked to her on the phone a couple times, but uh, you know, I I had no idea what to expect. But but she was just such it was such an amazing um, testimony to sort of the human spirit and the ability to overcome and and what she's 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 fantastic. As you know, you've talked to her, and she's this is something that she lives with, but she doesn't let define her and. And she's really, I think, a beacon of hope to other other victims.
0: Dale got to work drafting what's called a writ of certiorari. It's kind of like an appeal to the Supreme Court. To succeed, it needs at least four justices to agree to take another look at whatever one of its precedents a lower court applied. Montana, of course, wanted the court to examine the 5-4 Stogner ruling, which came down in 2003. The court doesn't move a lot of these requests forward. It doesn't love revisiting something it already decided. But Montana's request did have significant support. 18 states signed on in an official brief submitted by Virginia as part of this case. National victim and child advocacy groups supported it too. Here's Attorney General Fox.
4: This was a great case to challenge Stodner because of the way in which DNA evidence has evolved over the years. Uh, you know, when it first came out, it wasn't perfect science, uh, but it's getting better and better. And in fact, and in, indeed, now we can use uh, genealogy and comparison DNA to build family trees and to identify people even long after they've died. You know, in the Stodner case, essentially, uh, there was some belief we were uh, changing the rules, if you will, right? And that someone that uh, may have committed a crime some time ago uh, should not have to answer to changes in the law. But in this case, really, the only thing that changed was uh, the science and our ability to very exactly identify the perpetrator of a crime. Uh, in a way that didn't exist when uh, Stodner was decided.
0: As she did after hearing Ronald Tipton's name for the first time, Linda anxiously, maybe obsessively, checked for updates. I knew my case number um, and would look up
1: just kind of where everything was on the Supreme Court website daily. Um, We had an idea when decisions were coming down, and so they're like, well, we're expecting a decision... Tuesday or Wednesday of next week because of whatever holiday and it didn't come down on that Friday so it came back on Tuesday.
0: Dale Schoengert called her first.
1: And he said that they hadn't that they decided not to hear our case.
2: When I um, called Linda to give her an update about the case but you know she handled it like Linda does. She said well we gave it our best and she you know I so appreciate what uh, the Attorney General's Office did, and, and and you know we can't can't do anything more than that. And it was it was it was Linda being Linda, but it was a really hard call to make. You know, was, it was I just so wanted it to be a different result.
0: She knew on that call it was over, and it was a lot harder than she thought it would be. She kept it together until she hung up,
1: and I started crying immediately. And I was like, I knew. That this was the most likely outcome, but I'm still like really, really upset about it. Again, I was at a fairly stressful job that was hard to leave, so I just went into my um, manager's office and said, "Listen, I just got you know this news. I'm pretty upset. I'm just going to keep my office doors closed and not answer my phone, but I'm still going to try and get some work done today." And eventually, I went into her office. I was like, "I can't, I can't be here." So I left, and then. I can't remember if I called Tim Fox or if he called me. Um, I was—I think I was kind of a mess at that point. <laughs> um, I felt kind of bad. I—but uh, we talked a lot about it, and he—he he was super disappointed. We all were.
4: But that's one of the toughest calls I've ever made. I remember there was a, a dead pause for a moment, um, and she was trying to collect herself and. And um, actually I was trying to collect myself too. And I was just trying to be reassuring to her and, and um, let her know how much I appreciated her. And I still do. I think uh, after this COVID-19 goes goes away and after I'm done being AG looks like, um, I'll hopefully stop in Livingston and have a cup of coffee with Linda um, because I admire her very much.
0: Fox says he thought Montana had a good chance with this case, but he's also pretty measured about losing. He doesn't think, for example, that eliminating the statutes of limitation is a good idea.
4: I think the important thing to note is, is in the American criminal justice system, defendants have rights, uh, the accused have rights. And over the course of time, evidence becomes stale. Witnesses go away; they might die or can't be found. People's memory gets foggy, and so not only do you have <clears throat> physical evidence that, in the in the uh, case of a of DNA, can be very very compelling, uh, but uh, you may lack corroborating information, and and it also uh, the passage of time. Uh, hurts the defendant, the accused, and their ability to mount a defense for all the reasons I just said. So that's why we have statutes of limitations. In a nutshell, whether it be in this uh, civil law world or the criminal law world, is that you know time erodes the fairness of the whole thing uh, for all involved and the ability for a court or a jury for that matter, uh, get to a point where they can have confidence in the outcome. So uh, while you know, it, it's unfortunate perhaps that some people may never be prosecuted for the crimes they commit, even when we identify who they are, um, it, it's also, I think, important to note that um, the accused have uh, rights as well under our American justice system, and that's pretty important as well.
0: Gail Schoengerd, who moved to Montana after Tim Fox hired him as general counsel, he gets a touch more fiery when he thinks about the result here and the impact of Stogner.
2: It's a huge roadblock, especially as, as I mentioned earlier, that you've got states that are processing uh, rape kits. And so Virginia was lead in, a, in an amicus brief with, I can't remember how many states, like over a dozen states, I think. Eight,
0: 18 states. Yeah. Eight,
2: 18 states, right, thank you um joined that that Virginia's brief and 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 discussing this issue with Virginia it was really clear what their motivation was just like everybody else we're processing rape kits a lot of these these cold cases were generating really solid leads and and enough to to prosecute and convict these individuals except that in the many of the cases the statute limitations has run, and so these folks are getting off on a you know real technicality. Unfortunately, and, and so you know, murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. So if there, if there was a murder in the case, the person can still be prosecuted. But but otherwise, you know these folks are going to go get off scot free, even though uh, DNA connects connects them to the crime.
0: Here's Scott Twido again, the Yellowstone County prosecutor who made the call to charge Tipton in 2015.
4: I thought we were really going to, I thought we were going to reverse Stogner, which would have been, what a great thing for all these child, you know, victims out there to get rid of that nonsense as these states, as technology develops, that you can go back and states can go back and prosecute these folks for these horrible crimes. And so, I thought we had a good shot. I thought it was a perfect, I thought Linda's case was a perfect case to overturn Stogner. So, I was never, never defeatist, never thought that we didn't have a good chance until we just didn't get the writ.
0: It ended with a non decision decision by the US Supreme Court. It ended with a quiet thud. It ended with Stogner versus California remaining the under the radar end of the line in prosecuting cold case rapes even those with conclusive DNA proof. And that hurt. It hurt Linda, who took a long time to get to the place where she wanted to talk openly. She wanted something meaningful to come out of what happened to her.
1: I, I kind of had this thought of, you know, finally I'm going to get my due process. Finally I'm going to get what I deserve out of all of this. Which at that time I may, I thought the what I deserved Quote unquote, part of it was, you know, going to DC and hearing my case in front of the Supreme Court because that's what it had built up to be. I thought I deserved to be, you know, recognized as somebody who, like, helped institute this amazing change. And I don't go around thinking I, you know, deserve this or I deserve that. That's not really in my nature. I don't have this huge ego about myself, but. There's, there is something, (laughs) but there is, there was a part of me who is finally like thinking like, well, this is, this is what it's coming to, and this is what I deserve. Um, and I think that that has been kind of a hard part to realize, um, until I got your email about wanting to start this process, I remember just kind of feeling like dead in the water, just, you know, Why? One of the biggest effects it had on me was just kind of letting the whole process go. And I didn't want to, but that's what I had to do. I was like, what, at this point, how do I make this story known again? Now that I can't do it through this huge publicized process, like, what do I need to do now? But I just couldn't move on. I just was so, I just got into this headspace of, well, you know, if it didn't go past the Supreme Court or into the Supreme Court, Nobody's going to want to hear about the story that ends with a dull, like, thud. No one's going to want to hear this part of the story, what happens afterwards.
0: Actually, something kind of amazing happened. It played out after Linda did something she'd been thinking of doing for years. She contacted Jimmy Bromgard. Find out what happened when they met up in the next episode. An Absurd Result is a production of Mopac Audio. It's reported and written by me, Joel Vanville. Executive producers are Jonathan Nowzaridan and Jonathan Beale. Sound editing by Robert Williams. Music by Nick Palmerito. We had production help from Shannon McGarvey and Chris Moss. For more, visit AbsurdResultPodcast.com and follow us on social media at AbsurdResultPod. Special thanks this time to Shaylee Rager who recorded that interview with Tim Fox when I got stuck on an icy highway on the way to Helena. And here's another adventure in reporting. It happened on my call with Dale Schoengert, former general counsel for Montana. I'm always thinking about, you know, being a parent and relating to this story. It sounds like that was the case for you too.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like, I, you know, I, it, I still think about it, you know, just checking the windows and it's like, gosh, you know I mean, and, and also wonder, boy, would I have handled it as well as, as Linda's parents? I don't know. I mean,
0: how many kids?
2: I've got nine.
0: Oh my God.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry hospital. to react that way, but
0: holy shit. <laughs> Every, everybody does. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Thanks for listening. See you next time in the final episode.